Tens. Uh, but first, before we do that, we'll do some uh, kind of honourable mentions, films that didn't quite make the cut or... We're uh, banned didn't by qualify. your rules. Well, my rules of having Theatrical just... Release. Yeah, that, we should say releases. that. Yeah, all films we pick uh, are films that must have been released in the UK in 2011, the calendar year, so there'll be some kind of hangover from the Oscar season yeah. last year. And it doesn't take into account the fact I lived in Estonia for the first seven months of the year. Unbelievable. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so, Adam... Yeah, um, there's a whole bunch, because like I said, I've been to a bunch of festivals this year, and so a lot of films that I saw weren't British releases this year. Um, the big one, which I think you might agree with me on, was Bombay Beach, which yeah. we both saw at Dogfest. Um, That's out in February. Beautifully remarkable, yeah. yeah. Well, it went through, like, we went through the whole festival of that film just not getting picked up, because yeah. Dogfest is an industry festival where films do get picked up. And that film just wasn't picked up, and it was shocking, because mm. it was the best thing I saw there. In by, by a long way. Yeah, What yeah. is Bombay be about? <laughs> Did you say what's Bombay, uh, Bombay, Bombay Beach about, <laughs> bitch? <laughs> I think I said. What Did you call me Biatch? I thought I, was, I think I said what's Bombay B about? Oh, I don't know what that. But Bombay Beach. Yeah, what's Bombay Beach? About? Well, yeah, it's kind of hard to. It, it, it's I mean, it's kind of it really. It's everyone says every year it's a documentary that pushes the boundary of what a documentary yeah, is. It's not but really this really was. I mean, I struggle to even. Yeah, is it's, it a documentary? It's a documentary about what area was it? Is it some it's a. It's town? a. It's the Salton Sea. Salton in, sea. Uh, is it California? Yeah, yeah it's um, It was uh, a place where the rich people could go and party during the weekend, and yeah. then it became this sort of just left space kind of dust bowl kind of like the wild west you know where you'd have families that were just yeah in really indescribable and then you'd get people with, with, with weird pasts that'd show up and there was like he had its own sort of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air type character who was a young black guy who'd been involved with gang problems and he'd been sent to live out there by his mum to live with his aunt and uncle you know, so it's it's just like it's just like it's really unusual, really weird, really interesting place. But it was broken up by musical numbers, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the director Alma Hale um, did. Um, she worked with who Beirut. Was it? She worked with Beirut, yeah, and Beirut did music for this. But Be it was Beirut and Bob Dylan. Yeah, they used Bob Dylan stuff, but it was Beirut's. Original. Yeah, yeah, and um, it, yeah, it was just it was just a remarkable documentary. It, I mean, I just uh, they used, it was literally like nothing I'd never mm. seen before, yeah, and it was yeah. just. It, I think I saw it on the first day. Cause yeah, did you catch yeah. the latest screening? I saw the second screening. Yeah, yeah me and Colin went to see it uh, on that first day, and it was just, just remarkable. Colin Oakley from Slacker Cinema. Yeah, that's well. him. Give him a plug. Yeah, love you, dude. <laughs> Miss you. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean that was, um, and th that was on my list until I realised it wasn't actually picked up and released this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it would have been on there on the, in the spirit of Dotfest. Um, I absolutely loved the page one the uh, New York Times documentary. Yeah, yeah. I was a bit disappointed that it went straight to television. Yeah, it was so yeah. often what happened. I mean, it did get a very limited release uh, in the UK. Yeah, I mean, another thing that showed there was the Terry Pratchett documentary for television. Right. Which was just, uh, I've never sort of experienced sort of such a, a weirdly, a weird emotional experience in cinema. I mean, it was, I don't know if you, you've probably heard I'd of it. Yeah, I, I didn't see it. You guys yeah, went to watch I it. Mean I saw it on, I saw it when it aired on television. Yeah, and it was basically like an hour-long documentary about a man. It was about the, the right to die, and we saw sort of in real time a, a guy die on camera, and it was just really powerful, especially as like Terry Pratchett was there in attendance, and it kind of 
the reality of the situation was just yeah I've never been in a cinema like it was it was unbelievable yeah um but that was another highlight of Dogfest for me mm. um a couple of other films that I caught at festivals that aren't allowed on my list uh Shame which I mentioned earlier I've seen um, that on Tuesday I'm looking forward to that it's very good um f- the other Fassbender film of the year the uh, Dangerous Method the David Cronenberg film which is fantastic and when's that uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure at all um the film, the highest entry, which is on my official top ten, um, that's missing from this list is um, Bruno Dumont's Horse Satan, um, French film played at London. Um, yeah, it's not on the list because it's not out until February. Um, and then there's just a bunch of stuff from earlier in the year because of the way I construct my own list for like this, like each annual year. I, I, I missed. I, I, I included like Black Swan on my list for 2010, mm-hmm. so that's not on this. Um, the True Grit, it's not on this list. The fighter, you know, and there's there's a whole bunch of them. Stuff like um, yeah, Tinker Tales, Old Spy. I just didn't have space for. Um, but yeah, I think like that's sort of it in terms of what I, I I've not been able to fit on my list. I mean, there was one big thing and I didn't want to include it because I couldn't be bothered getting into a question of whether or not it's actually a film. Um, but the story of film, the 15-hour Mark Cousins documentary about the history of, of cinema. I I thought that was you know that summed up everything which was great about this year's cinema, which was like ambition. And um, yeah, it was just a very interesting and strong work. Um, it's screening festivals, so I think it's allowed to be classed as a film. Um, yeah, did you guys yeah. see it? Yeah, I did. I, I saw. Didn't. I saw. Um, I saw. I ended up seeing the second half of it because I think the first half aired when I was in the states, or, or like I, mi- I missed bits of it, so I couldn't catch up. But um, yeah, I, I agree. I think that was a, a, a great piece of work. It was really stunning, and you know, it's. Obviously, the story of film is too big a thing to be summed mm-hmm. up even in 15 hours, but I think he did a great job of illuminating the great things about cinema, really, which yeah, is all you yeah. could really want from Exactly, a and it was like subtitled that. an Odyssey, you know, it was a personal journey. Yeah, yeah. And I think that he was very, he succeeded really sort of well in doing that. You know, there's some discrepancies in there, you know, that I don't agree with, but that's kind of the point of an Odyssey. It's not my story, it's his story. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just think that's about as ambitious, pretty much, yeah. as, as we got um, this year, and um, I think it's very much sort of something that's going to be heralded as, 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 as a sort of a signpost cool. in film history. Right? Are we ready to get into our tens? <sighs> yeah. Same. So we're going to do this. Uh, we're going to go around. We're going to start at ten, work down. Uh, we're going to go alphabetical order. Is that right? Yeah. And then yeah, if there's so. one that's on someone else's list, we'll stop and yeah, we'll pick it up later. We'll pick it up later. So, so Adam, my first top ten. ten. Drum roll, please. Number ten. I don't know if it's on any of your lists. Uh, it's a British film. We should play the game. You should try and guess. <laughs> um, it begins with A. Appropriately. Is it Attack the Block? It's not Attack the Block. Oh. No. Archipelago. Oh, it's not on mine. So. After who? After Christmas. After Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Archipelago. Joanna Hogg's sort of tale of middle class doom on an island. Island break. Um, did either of you guys put it on your list? No. Um, no. I'm looking at your face with sort of surprises to suggest that uh, I'm I stupid for even asking. I didn't see it. Yeah, um, it came out in January, I think. Ed can correct me. It was January. on. Yeah, it was. It was. It was it very was early release. Um, and yeah, I, I was really blown away by it. I thought it was a very, again, a very quiet film. It's a film about place. Um, and it was just, yeah, it really impressed me. I'm surprised that it stuck with me for, for 11 months mm. and remained on this list when the films like True Grit have fallen away. Um, yeah, um, it's um, 
most notable thing was I think I sort of had a personal sort of connection with it because I, I did my first middle class holiday this year. So <laughs> I think this is as personal as my list gets actually. Um, and I sort of yeah I took a I took a lot out of it from that respect. And also I remember like leaving the cinema, and a couple of ladies were so unimpressed with it that they decided they were going to picket the cinema for the rest of the weekend and warn people not to come in. I don't think they actually Dicks. did pick at the cinema. Mm. Well, I I put that on my list of films to watch this weekend before mm. we did the cast, but I just didn't get a yeah, chance. But yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, it's very good. And Tom Hiddleston sort of came of he's, age. He's kind film. of uh, had a great year. Tom yeah, Hiddleston. So, I mean, we're talking potential sporting Oscar nominations for, for War Horse. He was the best Marvel villain ever in four. I don't think because ever. he wasn't playing it like a villain. Yeah, which yeah was it was a genuine that, yeah. great character. You know, that's a. It's the only thing I liked about Thor. That says a lot for somebody mm. who, uh, and he he wears a cape. You know, so I mean, know. what more could you ask for? But yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I think he's a real interesting young talent. You know, and the only way is up, as you know they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I really liked him. I think he would have made a great Tintin. Right, okay. It's a shame. Was, that the per- was he the person who dropped out? No, he that was Thomas Sangster. Right, okay. Who is uh, the, which is weird because we were talking about Love Actually earlier, he's the young lad from Love Actually, he was the original team. I blanked that out. <laughs> before, before the funding fell through the first time. Right, okay. And he moved on to other things. Oh, so yeah, but I think Tom Hiddleston would have made an interesting team. Mm. But anyway, so yeah, that's my number 10. Okay. Okay, Ed. My number 10 is a Japanese film and it is 13 Assassins. The Takashi Miike film. I caught up with this one. I missed it in the cinema, but I caught up with it um, in America um, when I was over visiting my parents. And um, I I do like Takashi Miike. I think he's too prolific to be genuinely great. (laughs) (laughs) I'd agree with that. I think, you know, he's one of those people... You know, people talk about how Ridley Scott kind of started making worse films the more frequently he made it. I mean, there was a point in the 90s when... Takashi Miike was making nine films a year. Yeah. And none of them were getting released over here. Yeah, That's none of them were getting released. But so, so there's kind of a, a slightly skewed version of him here where we've only really seen a tiny mm. percentage of his output. But no, what I've seen of it, you know, Audition, I think, is great. That's you amazing. Know, it's a, such a messed up film. No, it's kitty, 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 kitty. Oh, kitty. is it? Right, okay. You've been okay. misquoting that for the last 13 years <laughs> since the film was released. What an absolute dick. Um, um, and yeah, but I think this one was for me the the best film he's made yeah. since since audition because it's such a fun pure action film no i do agree yeah it's just the first you know the way it builds the first half is you introduce all these characters and they all feel like real characters and there's that whole you know it's a men on a mission movie and they're all getting introduced and then at the halfway point <laughs> it once they've set this trap for this lord warlord the entire last half of the film is just one yeah. massive yeah. battle nice, and just yeah. The moment I think it was the most sort of like fist pumping kind of like moment of the year was the point when they spring the trap and one of them just screams "Total Massacre!" <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of like, "Yes, I'm going to enjoy this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I really, really. I mean, I thought I joked about how it was appropriate that he marked the 10th anniversary of Hitchhiker Killer with a, a good film mm. because I think he has been so irrelevant for yeah. so long, um, and it, I was just Im- I was just so impressed by it. And it wasn't even that sort of fake impressed where you're impressed that somebody's actually done some all right. Yeah. You know, it was actually a genuinely great action film. I think it's probably the best action film of the year. Yeah. Maybe alongside Tintin, which I thought was great um, as well. But that was on my long list, was 13 Assassins. Well, I'm over for 2, because I haven't seen either of the films. I've not seen <laughs> anything. He's uh, working on a, a remake of Harry Kiri in 3D. I just mm. finished it. Screened at London, Harry yeah. Kiri 3D. Because 13 Assassins is a remake as well. Yeah, yeah. He's going through this spate of interesting films. Yeah, yeah. I, hope, I hope he 
slows down and more of his films get released over here because I kind of get the feeling if you do make that many I mean he's only been working since about 92 and he's made over nearly 100 films yeah. so you think maybe slow down and yeah. perhaps uh, put a bit more time and effort into it maybe he'd make some more great films like 13 Assassins yeah. he's like the Ryan Adams of, uh, of <laughs> Japanese cinema <laughs> just you know every now and then there's something good just slow the fuck down mate you know yeah I mean? um, okay here, here comes my 10 okay you ready for this yeah <laughs> brace yourself uh, my number 10 is Rango oh okay interesting anyone see it I did uh, see I it I enjoyed it a great deal um I thought it was a magnificent animated film and possibly the weirdest kids film. It's so strange. It's so odd. It's so odd. It's like a kind of trippy, peyote-infused kids western with a lizard. Yeah. Um, and Which it was. Uh, it looks beautiful. With a plot that um, is based largely on Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly the same as Chinatown. It's like Roger Rabbit is based on Chinatown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's um, it you know it was a film that I really wasn't expecting. I mean, I I thought it would looked really interesting. I don't really like Gore Verbinski uh, as a director. Uh, it's got a weird feel to it because they, um, unlike most uh, animated films, they recorded all the dialogue with the actors in the room together. It Actually, had to get out. Well, yeah, and it was right? motion captured. Yeah, because there um, was there were adverts during the Golden Globes. I remember for Rango, and they showed like the live action stuff so it's Johnny Depp doing like a big sort of <laughs> yeah. weird walk and I was watching it I was thinking I'd love to see the dog film version of Rango <laughs> <laughs> where it's just <laughs> it's just that footage as I'm walking yeah. around yeah but it was it was you know a real joy to watch yeah. and uh, Ned Beatty great villain yeah he's that. a good villain um, and it looked beautiful uh, it was exciting it was kind of um, kind of filled that gap that Pixar left this year I think yeah, yeah. Uh, and is it DreamWorks Rango no it's is another it company I, entirely I, I thought it was ILM oh yeah it was ILM and yeah. Nickelodeon wow yeah, yeah and it's just it's just I mean I don't really know how it did uh, but I can they imagine a lot of kids tuning out of that but as a as a as a kind of animated film I, I absolutely loved it yeah. and thought it was great and um, <laughs> yeah I still <laughs> I like the um, the thing you know, I, I in, there's a there's a whole thing about it about the spirit of the desert. Yeah, who's this kind of character they refer to? And I love the fact that it's actually Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, yeah. As the um, man with Clint no Eastwood name. In it? No, no, it's Timothy Oliphant doing a very good Clint, Clint Eastwood, Eastwood impression. impression. Yeah. But they talk about how he rides on a chariot with four golden figures or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it's it <laughs> it's Clint Eastwood as the man with no name in a golf cart with his four Oscars in the yeah. back. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's a really weird yeah. joke, but it's so funny. Yeah, and it, but it all works. It and also, you know, they have Johnny Depp reprise his Hunter S. Thompson. Yes. But for Sasona, yeah. at one point he, Rango is kind of like, he gets flown through the air and hits the front of a car and the car is being driven, driven by, by Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, yeah by Hunter S. Thompson. Like, so I interviewed um, Terry Gilliam earlier this year when that was released and somebody asked him about that and he said, did, did they consult you about this reference mm. to, to Fear and Loathing? And he didn't know anything about it. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward. I'd have thought uh, Depp would have mentioned it. Maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, Gilliam's phone's not ringing off the hook. I don't think he sees them very often. So yeah, Rango, my number ten. Cool. My, my number nine is my. I think it's the most. It's the only blockbuster on my list. Um, Super Eight, um, which I was really, really impressed by. I think it's the only sort of blockbuster that stood up to scrutiny as well for me. Um, the rest of them have faltered somewhat on second viewing. Um, but no, for me it was it, it's again there's like I think a couple of concurrent themes for the cinema this year, and this this pops up again later in my list. But 
I like the idea that it was a film about film that felt sincere. You know, the strains of it, of, of, of films like The Artist and Hugo as well. Um, and it was just, yeah, just for me, like, I remember thinking halfway through, like, quite, yeah, quite being impressed by the idea that I'd not thought about the antagonist for about 25 minutes. You know, and I was instead just watching this really good story about a gang of kids. You know, and it reminded me a lot of, of uh, Stand By Me. You know, which I think is actually like a f one of the few sort of nostalgia-laden sort of kids' films that that, that still holds up. Um, but yeah, um, have you guys seen it? Yeah. I saw it. Um, I absolutely loved it until the alien turned up. A lot of people said that. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really tuned out as soon as she started. Mm. That's, that's that's kind of the the point at which I, kind it, it didn't lose me, but that was the point at which I cared about it less. It's mm. fine when it's the mystery, and I think there are some really great scenes in it relating to the alien like I think the, the one that I thought was really wonderful is the scene where Elle Fanning and the, the main kid um, well first off you've got the the acting scene where they're making the film at the mm -hmm. train station which is a really there's a really good bit of acting from Elle Fanning in it but also the fact that you've got that guy walking to the phone in the background and pretending yeah, to yeah, talk yeah. and his <laughs> mouth just flops open which is just a great sight gag yeah. But um, the, the scene that really affected me in that film is where he's sitting and watching home movies of his mother mm -hmm. on the old projector, and I think that it's just really, just really sweet encapsulation of that way of how you know film can be comforting because it holds, it can you know capture an image of someone and allow you to relive your time with them in you know a slightly disassociated way. And I thought yeah, that was yeah. really touching. And I love the fact that it was a big. You know, block mainstream blockbuster that had this weird quiet moment in yeah, it, in which yeah. these kids just sit and watch home movies. Yeah, mm. no, totally. That ties but into yeah my, and like I say about I did forget that it was a monster yeah. movie. And then you've got the the Super Eight footage at the end where they actually show yeah, the film they yeah. made. Great title sequence. Great title sequence. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is just uh, that that bit's lovely. But yeah, I do. F once the actual alien shows up and it's you know it's one of those really over designed aliens, where mm. you kind of think I'm not entirely sure how it works. And I'm not. Yeah, I can't even remember what it looked like. But I, I, I don't know. It looked a bit me, like a transformer. Right. I think ultimately, like I, I thought, the emotional payoff really worked at the end with the alien leaving, and uh, that, know, that was, was like a really nice. That was very, very well handled. Like a postmodern spin on ET. Yeah, you're not a fan of ET, are you? Not really. I thought we'd have this discussion. No, it, it's, it's I'm just ambivalent. So. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was like really nice and sort of sealed that sort of homage mm. perfectly. Um, but yeah, super eight number nine. Okay. My number nine is. Uh, Can I just say, why didn't you make it number eight? Wanted to. Yeah. Wanted to. Shame. Go on, Missed opportunity. My is a British film, again, uh, talking about British film. Uh, it was Submarine. Submarine, yeah. Has anyone else got that on there? Yes. Yeah, okay, it. we'll talk about it later. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not in my list. It's all right. <laughs> Forgot about it now. Um, it's not about submarines, not enough submarines. Um, my number nine. Also a British film uh, is Kill List. Anyone got that it? Very that nearly was on my list, but I left it off in the end. It really, really kind of made me feel weird <clears> in <throat> that I kind of was just unnerved by it for days. It yeah. had a very kind of strange quality that we all kind of took about it. That it, you know it was pretty <clears> opaque. <throat> there wasn't uh, a kind of clear resolution or even a kind of glimpse of a resolution at the end. But it, I, it just made me feel uneasy for weeks afterwards and I had four separate nightmares about it and on two of the nightmares I was on the list and in two of them I was carrying out the list and people that I know were on it were I on you the weren't list? No, 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 yeah. I did think I'm yeah, disappointed I, kind I, of actually yeah, I definitely shame. thought that the, um, the, the 
range of responses to it. You know, it was such an intense. It was an intense viewing experience for me. You know, I just felt mm. all the way through really, really on edge and really unnerved. And I think the only thing that stops it from being my top ten is, you know, I think it kind of fumbles it a little bit at the end. But that, I don't think that the fact I didn't care much for the ending discounts how fun the journey is. They yeah. were fun, but you know, they, it just it does have this great sense that anything, any moment something terrible is going to yeah, happen. Yeah, that was my favourite thing about the film. I think it was the, just such yeah. a great feeling of tension to the whole yeah. the whole mm. thing. I mean, other than that, it failed for me on a number of levels, which I just remember being really disappointed with it at the end. But then that night, I did have a nightmare. <laughs> and mm. I, I respect a film that can do that to me. Yeah. You know, it's like a film that can make me laugh. I respect a film that can make me feel that strongly about it. Um, so in retrospect, I, I, I was probably a little bit harsh, harsh um, on it. And it did have some great sort of shocking moments perhaps a little bit overshadowed by drive later on in the year mm -hmm. but i think for as an experience you know it was one of those akin to another film on my list actually that's coming up in a moment that we'll talk about then but for in terms of sort of emotional response and this this feeling of dread you know it was it was unmatched other than by the film that i'm going to mention in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> unmatched by that film um, um okay so, so we're on to it's round to you number eight number eight number eight is um a surprising, actually, a surprising um, one for me. Um, Beginners. Oh, yeah. Michael Mills' snap. film, we've got it in there. Much later. Cool, okay. we'll, we'll come to that eventually. Uh, my number eight is um, Attack the Block. Cause I'm my list. Uh, I, I've got it in exactly the same position as you have had. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's my number eight, too. Does that, that mean you have to take an item of clothing off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it probably wouldn't have been if I hadn't been sent the DVD to review. Because I, I watched it the first time. We really all accept DVDs to review, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, I really did. I really enjoyed it in the saw in the cinema. But it was only when I watched it a second time that I realised just how much I kind of liked those characters. Was that post London riots? When yeah, you saw yeah, a second time? yeah, yeah. So I'm interested to hear how that would have. Yeah. I mean, I did think. I do think. I mean, I wrote that in my because I didn't review it when I saw it in the cinema, but I did re uh, review it af on DVD afterwards, and that was kind of something I thought was. I mean that that probably did is the thing that really kind of struck home to me is because um, Moses has that big speech like at the end where he's talking about you know suggesting that the um, the government unleashed the aliens in them and they talked saying you know first they let the drugs in and then the guns in you know just because we weren't killing each other quick enough and I think that is a a very that's that not necessarily that sentiment that the government is responsible that sort of thing but that sense of alienation yeah. Yeah. Oh, in a film about aliens um, is, uh, they should make a film called Alien Na oh yeah <laughs> um, I've actually only just got that pun that is a pun isn't it yeah. Alien Nation yeah. is a pun yeah. <laughs> I, did, that's it. I think that was really <laughs> I'm going to have to have a break <laughs> I'm sorry that, that did prove to be surprisingly like prescient a few weeks yeah, yeah. later because I think that sense of alienation was one of the reasons why the riots kind of occurred I think that was a major part of why people felt that they could do it mm. do, could riot and um, that that did play into why I liked it but I think the main reason is it's just a really fun film yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really really entertaining yeah. and, um, yeah. it, and also on the the extras on the DVD also kind of made me really impressed on how physical it is because mm. I thought more of it was CGI than it is but so much of it is guys in suits yeah, I mean yeah. The, the, the design of the alien was, was great it was a real yeah. highlight of the year um, I think that uh, yeah it was on my list as well in the same position which is handy um, but I'm you know I'm a massive fan of Walter Hill and John Carpenter and yeah. Joe Cornish clearly is um, those films where you know the Warriors is a very kind of uh, obvious touchstone, for, and uh, Assault on Precinct 13 is another one, very obvious, and it really shines through. I, I didn't quite understand 
some of the reaction to it uh, there was some very kind of ho high profile critics and writers who said yeah you can't mug a nurse and you know then yeah. be a hero which really I think they kind of missed the me point <laughs> but they were like those same people you know will like Assault on Precinct 13 well, it's almost when the like, lead character is yeah, a murderer I was going to say it's almost like one of my well, we should have we should have this as a point the worst critic re misreading of a film all year you know and that's that's up there that it, we, it really was fucking dumb I've got the best critic misreading coming up but yeah I mean yeah. that's that's just a, f a few minutes I just think it sums up the the changing face of like mainstream film mm. criticism but know? it was from it people that you should know better yeah, yeah. yeah exactly exactly you, you do kind of wonder if it's if there's a racial element to it because you know of course it was, it was black I think that's because if you yeah. look at the critical reaction I'm sure if when those people saw like Mike Lee's Naked Oh, which Super Eight is a yeah, yeah, yeah. Super Eight. Which well, opens, they're not bad kids, to be fair. But you know, like the you know, Mike Lee's naked opens with the main character raping a woman, mm. and then you know, you spend the rest of the film kind of getting to know him a bit more, and you don't yeah, necessarily yeah. Really sympathise with Raging Bull, him. Raging Bull Raging is Bull, the great yeah. bad there's, film. There's loads of films which are about bad people who you come to understand in some mm. way, yeah. and I think that was so myopic to kind of draw it on, and yeah, it did seem yeah. really reactionary. Yeah, no, it ties into my next one actually as well. Go ahead. Yeah, my next film is Margaret, a film you guys haven't seen because none of us have had a chance to see yeah. um, until I saw it very recently, just last night. But I do really want to see it. I'm a little apprehensive oh. about where it's going to be when I do my top ten, definitive top ten, which I, uh, I need to do sort of in the next couple of weeks. This is um, the Kenneth Lonergan film, and yeah. yeah, I'm a massive fan of his first film. Yeah, and incredible. it's the character... He did Danger Zone, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he did. Yeah. yeah, he scored. He went from uh, action film scoring in the eighties to uh, kind of intimate human dramas. Did he really? No, no. no I'm missing that. Yeah. We're, we're thinking about, we're, we're about, thinking about Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Damn you two! <laughs> I just thought maybe that's why his film has been sort of blacklisted. How, how long is it since it was made? It was two thousand six. It was shot two thousand four. It was scheduled for release two thousand five. Wow. You know, so there's some really, I think, I mean, my favourite, or my, my most sort of keen sort of attitude towards this film um, is that it's just so weird to see a film like in that way. I, I, it's not, it's just such an unusual way to discover a film. And I think there's something quite sort of profound about that. You know, we're watching kids talk about like the after effects of 9-11, you know, which is, 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 it's all, it's common, you know, commonplace. But this is just sort of so weirdly delayed that it adds an extra layer of and then and then we see like somebody joked that, that, that they were shocked that there wasn't more Oscar um, recognition for, for the amazing sort of ageing um, special effects in the film because Matt Damon looks so young in it and that's because it was shot seven years ago Matt so Damon yeah Matt Damon is he yeah, wow yeah. Matt Damon uh, Ferris Bueller's in there as well there's An a cast Anna of Paquin, thousands isn't it John Renault playing a Colombian. Yeah, Anna Paquin is the titular, well, she's not the titular character, she's the main character. Mm -hmm. um, and she is um, a horrible, kind of horrible, kind of not horrible girl. Um, yeah, and it's a, such a great complex character, and it's the sort of character that I could sit and sort of watch all night. I mean, there's sort of this mythic five hour, six hour cut of the film. I think the original script ran to 300 pages, which is, if you take the rule of thumb, which is one page equals one minute. Mm. Um, that's 300 minutes. 300 <laughs> minutes. So I mean, that's a. It, it, I could sit and watch these characters interact and do what they do in that film. I think when you get around to watching, you can count on me. I really yeah, yeah. I wanted to watch it before I saw Margaret. Did um, Scorsese have anything to do with Margaret? He recut it. Him and Thelma Schumacher, but we. 
I'm not sure whether he was exec producer on exec producer on um well, on you can count on me. It's sort of like a idiot's guide to what Margaret is or what's happened to Margaret. Basically, like it's sort of been in in there's been many a delay in its release because of its running length. And the original contract with the studio was that it would have to be under two hundred two hours and thirty minutes. Martin Scorsese stepped in at one point with Thelma Shoemaker and they cut the film over saw an edit which would we was aimed to appease the the studio. Um eventually the film was got I mean the the film the cut of the film that exists now is like two minutes, twenty nine seconds and forty eight sorry, two minutes two hours, two twenty nine minutes and forty eight seconds long, so it's twelve seconds under two hours and forty wow. minutes. Um I'm not sure if Scorsese did that cut. But anyway, yeah, he was he, he stepped in to save Ronnie and but no, it's such a great film. I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to sort of spoil it for you guys. But it is, yeah, there's something really, something about it. Something about Margaret. I do like the... Uh, <laughs> That'll be on the poster. <laughs> She's got spunk in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I also think the way that you disco- we've discovered this film is really interesting. You know, we live in an age where you can quite literally have any film from the history of cinema, mm. you know, at the click of a mouse. And yet this film... You know, it's sort of eluded everybody. It's it's it's, it's really e- intriguing. Um, yeah, yeah. Nice, Ed. Okay, my number seven is uh, Tyrannosaur. It's lower down on my list. Oh, is it? Yeah. Why well, we didn't make the top ten? Yeah, Tyrannosaur did. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what? Higher on the list, you mean? Yeah, it's higher up on my okay, list. Okay, we'll talk about it later then. Right. So what are we up to? Number six. Number seven. No, seven. Sorry. Seven. seven yeah. Uh, my number seven is the uh, the Interrupters. Oh, which I didn't get to see, and I really wanted. I refused to see it. Why? I don't know. I, I'm just trying to be dramatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I didn't. I, was, I saw a bit on TV. It was um, a Doc Fest film, uh, but got a cinema release, and uh, it's we talked about this earlier, kind of off mic, but uh, talked about Hoop Dreams, and it was Steve James's uh, film uh, about um, a truly remarkable set of people who intervene in gang violence. They're all ex-gangsters. That's what um, I do actually on a night. Well, yeah, I yeah. go out on my own and do that <laughs> shit. Um, but yeah, it's about <coughs> a kind of uh, a kind of crew of ex-gang members who uh, go and intervene in uh, real gang situations, and um, you—it's one of those great documentaries where you watch the characters and you think these people have been written uh, because they're just too unreal to mm-hmm. be. And but like some of it's, it kind of sounds shit, but just the kind of courage that these people have got to do that and some of the scenes in which you know you, you get someone who goes around to a kind of irate drug dealer's house who's got a gun in his pants and you know just calmly telling him not to go out and, and kneecap someone mm. just because he kind of stepped on his toe or whatever yeah, yeah. is I mean it's just remarkable it's, it's kind of very tense it's it's got a kind of a sweep like it's an obvious thing to say but the wire had about a kind of city in decay set in Chicago Um and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just it had real punch, real emotional depth, and it was, you know, the second best film I saw at Dogfest uh, behind it's Bombay Beach. It's an interesting counterpoint to um, Attack the Block. Yes, well. very interesting. Are you um, are you angry that it's not been even shortlisted for the Oscar for best documentary? It's been uh, left off. It's been left off. Just trying the sort of person would care about that. nothing. Nothing angers me about the Oscars other than the fact that they they I mean. Braveheart won Best Picture, so they've got no, no meaning whatsoever. Crash is the new low, well, not the new low, but that sums up why the Oscars aren't all that. 
the old crash fucking hell but yeah I just think it's one of those things where if it got a nomination more people would see it and it'd yeah. have a bigger impact and I think that's the, the documentary category from the Oscars is the one that I think is the in some ways the most important because that's where some of the more well who dreams got snubbed as well yeah and you know nominated for best editing though oh yeah that's <laughs> That makes up for it. Yeah. Well, I didn't Transformers win best editing like two years ago or something. Transfor- Transformers has won. I was going to say Oscars. I don't think Transformers ever has. I think this, there was an outcry. I, I kid you not about it not winning best um, special effects. Both right. years it was. But it won best sound editing or something. I'm sure it did. I I, I don't know. I I think that the Oscars sort of did a downturn when Norbit was nominated for and best it, makeup. Yeah, so that's now an Oscar nominated film. But I don't know if Transformers ever won. I hope it didn't. But mm. yeah, I mean I Probably wouldn't be surprised yeah. either way. Um, number six. Number six is Tyrannosaur. Okay, yeah. So you can say you can speak for I am Tyrannosaur. Sure, yeah. Tyrannosaur was Paddy Considine. Unless you've got it, you've not got it, have you? No. It was Tyrannosaur was Paddy Considine's debut directorial effort as a film. Well, he'd made a film called Dog Altogether before, which was won a BAFTA, and this was kind of his follow-up to it, taking the character from it. It was played by Peter Mullen in both both the short and the feature. He plays a man who begins the film in kind of the most shocking way imaginable by beating his own dog to death which is quite was quite harrowing um but you know over the course of the film you you kind of see this man at his lowest possible ebb and you know trying to in some way seek redemption and i thought it was an absolutely i just thought it was an amazing piece of work you know the performances are great the writing was very good they were very measured you know these characters revealed kind of like depth as they went along him and olivia coleman who plays this a woman who's got an abusive husband. That's one of the, the best female performances. I think it's year. probably my favourite yeah, female mine, performance. Yeah, she was remarkable in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I mean, um, she, she, anyone who knows her from her comedy work or anything like that, you know, if they see her in that. It'll it's a, revolu- blow, a revelation. Blow her mind. Yeah. No, I, I hate using that term, but it is a genuine revelation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, really loved it. I f- it was my favourite British film of the year, um, and I, I was really sort of trepidatious about going in because I, I, I. We remember. I'm a big fan of dogs. Mm. That's my problem. I'm a lover it's of a dogs. It's a tough year for animals in film, is it? tough year for dogs. Dogs mm. all over the shop getting all Hung, sorts of happens. Hung, kicked to death, beheaded. It's beautiful, though, like the way that it all it all works. Like I just think it's not. We're not watching a Mike Lee film here. You know, we're not watching sort of social realism. You know, I mean, if anything, it, it was poetic realism, mm. which for me is is a lot more powerful. You know, it's a lot more literate and it, it comes it, these people aren't real you know it's not an issues film as Constantine was quite keen to point out you know he and no improv as well which was kind of yeah, surprising yeah, for yeah. his background exactly and I mean this is not so much sort of smear on that sort of film because I think Ken Loach is still making quite relevant films and somebody like Shane Meadows is making really powerful stuff still but this was just sort of a very sort of eerily cinema but at the same time sort of so far removed from that mm-hmm. I mean it's really annoys me when I've seen people refer to it as, as social kitchen realism kitchen sink yeah because yeah, it's, it's not, not that at all you know and, and if anything it's got more in common with the sort of yeah the, the tradition of the poetic realist you know taking stuff and using them as, as, as analogues for, for a story you know which is what this is first and foremost it's not it's not an, an issues movie mm. um and yeah, just shocking, just shocking, sh- shocking moments. And that this is what I was talking about when you were talking about Kill List. You know, that fear, that feeling, that feeling of sort of, uh, of fear just sort of overbearing throughout the film. It's always there. Anything could happen. When you start a film with a man kicking a dog to death, his yeah. only friend in the world, mm. you know, where do you go? You know, you can't. And yeah. also, I think, like, the title stems from, like, probably the most interesting, I think it's the most, most interesting title of the year. Mm-hmm. Where that comes yeah. From. 
Um, yeah, and yeah, I just thought it was a nasty, vicious, but beautiful film, mm. you know. And also, it, it it had a Christian in it that wasn't sort of a, an offensive caricature. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who um, yeah, didn't have all the answers, you know. Yeah. And mm. um, no, I just thought, I know it's, it's so nice to see it do so well. Like, I, I think that Olivia Coleman is. Is, is is up there with you know the the typical sort of um, people for, for for sort of recognition next year. I think she's you know you'd hope so. I think she's genuinely going to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's my number six. Number six, Ed. My, oh, num- my number six is um, Take Shelter. Oh. I didn't put that in mine. I'm. It, that's one film that I'm really gutted I missed because I love Jeff Nichols stuff. I love mm-hmm. Shotgun Stories, which yeah. is I think is. A hugely underrated film, or just underseen film. Yeah, so I missed Take Shelter. Yeah, I wrote a um, I wrote an article on Shotgun Stories Forum and Front Row Reviews that I started doing this thing where I write about someone's. Ed is name dropping. Sorry, quite <laughs> a lot in this. Um, but it, um, but yeah, you're right. It is a film that not enough people have seen. Yeah. Um, Shotgun Stories, which is really great, and and Take Shelter, I thought was in some ways even even better than than Shotgun Stories. Um, for me. Like Tick Shell was not the sum of its parts. I thought that, right. that Michael Shannon is fantastic. Yeah, I think you know, he's a performance. He's good in everything though. And it's in yeah, Washington. but this is this this film was like in my shortlist, which is about thirty films long, and for, for solely for that performance, I thought the rest of it was a little bit of a mess. You know, I thought it was like sort of like a I don't know Tree of Life for big for beginners, um, sort of like wider. I don't know. I just I thought it, it sh- I struggled with it. You know, and right. I did see it at nine o'clock in the morning after an eight-hour bus ride. Um, I just I wasn't as impressed as I expected to be. But Michael Shannon is fantastic, you know, and um, I, I really liked the um, who was it, Shay Wiggum, the guy who's his co-star from Boardwalk Empire, is in there as well. Oh yeah, yeah. With Jessica Chastain, uh, so it's, it's a strong actors' film, but mm. what are some of its parts for me? I don't know. Well, for me, what I really liked about it, I loved its atmosphere and this kind of again in a way similar mm. to Kill List and, and Tyrannosaur uh, there's this kind of growing sense of dread all the way through as as the character mentally unravels and really tries to struggle with trying to kind of keep his life from spinning out of control and what I really liked about it was it just builds and builds and builds until and 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 Shannon what's great about Michael Shannon's performance for me is it's really restrained as if he's Real, a man really struggling to try and keep himself from giving in to these the, the voices in his head that are telling him to do things, and then the whole film kind of like builds like that. And every aspect of it, you know, the music starts off very plaintive and gets more and more dramatic as it where it goes through. And by the end of the film, you know, there's kind of the point at which it has to break in a sense, you know, where he has to suddenly kind of let forth. And when it does, I just thought I think that's what's really powerful about. It. I think it's got an, an amazing like final twenty minutes or so, just. Which I can't talk about because it's yeah. really in the film. I mean, by that point, it had kind of lost me. Right. If I'm okay. for, for me, it, it kept me all the That's way. That's a great final thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just like, and then uh, I just thought, I, for me, it was just, it was just great. I really, mm. really thought it was a great piece of work. Yeah, I think it's sort of evident of like this sort of Bible-infused, sort of faith-infused, um, sort of almost subgenre of cinema with films like Kill List, Tyrannus, or Tree of Life. They all had this sort of Bible. I termed, I coined the term Bible noir, running underneath, you know, with all these sort of biblical and grand themes, sort of, but played out on a on a small level. Like I, I inter- yeah, I mean, I interpreted Kill List as as being a sort of. It reminded me of American Gods, the Neil Gaiman novel, as as do these other films, you know. But I, I sort of interpreted it as like 
a pair of avenging angels out on the road, you know, and it was de- they were dealing with spiritual things bigger than them. Mm-hmm. I'm not a religious person in any way, but I, I, I sort of saw that running through this year's cinema quite mm-hmm. strongly. Um, but yeah, yeah, I did, I did like. It. I just thought it wasn't some of its parts. Mm. Yeah, got to miss that one. Um, we can now talk about submarine because okay, that's sure. uh, my number six. Um, that was uh, for me uh, just such a warm and likable uh, film, and um, uh, also the first press screening I ever went to. So I was there. Didn't we meet that day? We did. Um, and yeah, so it's I always beautiful. always up for a freebie. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, Unfairly, but then also, kind of obviously compared to Rushmore, an awful lot. Um, yeah, really, really annoyed me. Yeah, um, <laughs> and you can you can see it, but it's just annoying. To it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's not Rushmore. It's Truffaut, and mm. Truffaut yeah. inspired Wes Anderson. And yeah, and that was that was kind of the thing about Richard it. Wasn't it? People were looking at other stuff that shared an imp- that yeah, exactly. influence. Yeah, yeah. Shared influence. That's all it came down to. In Roma. That's that's all it came down to. Yeah, there's far much, there's far more of a Truffaut feel to it, and, and a new wave kind of feel to it, mm-hmm. and sort of the editing and things like that, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, we're talking yeah. the, the play with the playing with form and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's clearly more more of a Truffaut thing than or or a Goddard thing than a um, than a Wes Anderson thing. So I think that that comparison it was just was misdirected anger. Yeah, yeah. And it pissed me off. But uh, yeah, a, a very good directorial debut. Yeah. Uh, and also uh, the two central performances. Uh, by is it Craig Roberts and I can't remember the girl's name. No, I can't either. Um, but um, <laughs> sorry to her if she's listening. Um, but just uh, hugely confident performances by two kind of relatively new mm. people that kind of th- that film really does hang on those two. Although Sally Hawkins and um, Noah, Noah Taylor, yeah, is it Noah Taylor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. as the um, parents. as the parents are fantastic. And Paddy Constantine's amazing cameo. Yeah, <sighs> that is. The haircut of the I year. Did really I really enjoy it. I'm slightly good that I've not put it, I've not got room for this in my yeah. top ten. But it was it was one of the most enjoyable films yeah, easily yeah, of yeah. the year. No, it was. And it had a good it had that nice balance of like the first the first half or so is quite rapid fire in its in its humour mm-hmm. and then there's all that stuff where he's talking about his various affectations and talking about getting a hat phase and the editing's really sharp and mm-hmm. cutting between different things. And that was a thing of, as well that really impressed me was um, Richard Aoward, he really knows how to use editing and, and, mm. and shot composition to sell a joke, in much the same way that someone like Edgar Wright does. You know, yeah. They know how to use the frame to sell the joke rather yeah, than yeah. just the script. Um, but then as it kind of goes along, I like the fact that it kind of moves away from that and becomes more about a more personal journey. Like It's almost as if the, the character loses his sense of dislocation from everything and kind of realises that he's dealing with real things. Yes, and I think that's the big comparison point to Rushmore more mm-hmm. than anything. Yeah, yeah. It's a similar sort of thing. And I mean, there's the comparison, but that, that, that rips from everything. Yeah, it's not It's not like a... But it's not quite an hour yeah. uh, close enough for that. But it did remind me of... Um, I did I did really love it. I thought it was brilliant, yeah. Yeah. Um, where are we up to now? Number five. five. I think one of you guys will have this. It's Drive. Five is Drive. Five that's is Drive. I've definitely got it. I you didn't. You didn't. You didn't. Uh, well, 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 we'll wait for Mr. Joe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Five for me was uh, Midnight in Paris, which I so really to see list. Which I really, I really, really loved. And you know, as I said earlier, you know, I more or less started the film, the, the started the year watching a Woody Allen film that I really, really just didn't like at all. And you know, that was when I saw. I remember when I saw the trailer for Midnight in Paris. I was just kind of like, 
oh god you know not another one but I also knew I'd have to go and see it because mm-hmm. I'd go and see everything he makes um, but it just you know it just was so charming and, and fun and light and you know maybe it's a case of you know maybe um, diminished expectations or whatever but I, I, I do think it's a really really well written film I think yeah, yeah, it's a really yeah. it's got a really great script the performance is really good I think Owen Wilson's a really good choice because he's not in a way one of the main problems with a lot of Woody Allen films where he doesn't star is you know people try and do him Jason w- Biggs yeah Jason Biggs <laughs> in um, anything else is that what it's called mm. yeah um, anything else but that film <laughs> ask him for it and um, I think because he's got a slower rhythm of talking he's got he's more laid back it gives the film a different vibe and it, it doesn't feel quite as, as manic as some of his films mm. do but also you know you've got this absolutely you know delightful plot device of um, you know he can go back in time to the 1920s and yeah. kind of get it's like Goodnight Sweetheart yeah it's like Goodnight Sweetheart but you, you know he meets all of these uh you know, famous literary figures, and they're just the, the, the actors who play them have such fun. Like the guy who plays Hemingway, whose name I forget, is he just plays the most earning, Ernest Hemingway kind of type. Like he talks, like Ron Swanson. Yeah, he talks entirely in really terse prose, and it's really funny. And yeah, and, and there's a nice sort of undercurrent message to it about the danger of nostalgia, which is not the sort of message you would expect to hear from Woody Allen, who's a guy who always seems slightly separate from modern culture but mm. that's kind of the overwhelming message of the film is that you know you can't really progress if all you're doing is looking at the past which is know. strange because I've seen that film mentioned alongside The Artist and Hugo as like one of these sort of renaissance films yeah I mean um, there is there is there is a celebration of the past in there but there's also mm. this kind of sense that if all you're doing is looking at the past then you know there's no you can't you, you'll never be satisfied with what's going on now I shall watch it. But it's um, but yeah. So I, I was I was really really taken with it. I was surprised by how much I liked it, and mm. it was really really well, you know one of one of Alan's one of is generally one of his really great films. I thought. Cool. What's your number five then, Joe? I'm going off road, and I'm fairly confident neither of you would have seen this a film that came out in America two years ago, and finally made it over here. Uh, I've been banging on about it since I saw it early last year. It's a film called Ballast, oh, no. which uh, I think might not have even come out here. Yeah, it did. Um, I, I wasn't impressed. But you, did you see it? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Ballast is a, um, a incredibly quiet, uh, very, very moody. You'd like it if you like your kind of fractured Americana. No, I'm not a fan, to be honest. <laughs> it just doesn't impress me. Um, but yeah, it's about uh, a kind of family uh, living in the Mississippi Delta and their kind of uh, equilibrium is disturbed by a suicide and they have to kind of reconnect the the kind of uh, fragments of their family, and it's just an incredibly quiet, um, underplayed, beautifully shot uh, human drama, which is incredibly sad, uh, but inc- incredibly affecting as well. Uh, and you can buy it from all good retailers. <laughs> um, and it's it's just it was just a stunning film that hardly has any dialogue in it. It's non-professional actors. Um, and it's a, a debut by a guy called Lance Hammer, I think, who was a special effects guy and just made this kind of really small film. It was shot by Lowell Crawley, who shot Four Lions, British cinematographer, and it just looks incredible. Mm. Um, I would heartily recommend that to everyone, and you should all watch it and tell me how good it is. I should check it out. Um, number four, are we up to now? Mm-hmm. Number four, I say four. 
It's not really number four. I thought that would be a good <laughs> show. Like Super 8 and Drive at five. Um, number four is The Skin I Live In. Um, it's higher up on my list. Is it higher up? Yeah. Rubbish. Move on then. My number four is uh, The Tree of Life, which I think could be quite yeah. high on yours. Yeah, <laughs> mine's on. higher up. Uh, what, so am I number four yeah. already? Yeah. Uh, my number four is Beginners. Oh, oh you so guys can talk about that. Yeah. Um, Adam, you, you picked it Would first. Would you like me to? Um, yeah. Beginners, um, Mike Mills' Beginners. It's his follow-up to Thumbsucker. It's about, it's an autobiographical sort of tale of a man who finds that his his father comes out of the closet in his 70s after his mother has died. Um, and it's just a, yeah, it's just a, a film about lost people being found. That sounds so cheesy. But um, yeah, Ewan McGregor stars in it, Christopher Plummer, best and actor. And Ewan McGregor's best performance ever. Ever. Yeah, I'd say better than Trainspotting. Better than Not a fan of Trainspotting. Revenge of the Smith. Yeah. The Smith. <laughs> Revenge of the yeah. Smith. It's as good as that film about the um, the Rogue Trader that I can't remember the name oh of. Oh, God. Rogue, Rogue Trader. Trader. <laughs> Um, yeah, but no, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's beautiful. Uh, Christopher Plummer's nailed on for Oscar there, isn't he? Yeah, aging um, actor, never. Won. And I caused some controversy when we left the artist by saying that it had the best Jack Russell performance of 2011 because I think he outdoes. It's a great dog performance, it is. and uh, it's just really, it's just such a nice surprise because mm. I, I expected to l- enjoy it because I thought Fumsicle was great, but I never, in in my wildest sort of years, years would have ever said that it would be my top ten at the end of the year. You know, yeah. when it was just it's brilliant. Yep. Yeah, and uh, a film in someone else's hands could have been kind of either cloying or just preposterously saccharine. quirky. Yeah, that's shit. why I, my review was anti-quirk and right, anti-saccharine. Okay. That was my review, my title, my review because it is right, okay. not what you expect. You know, yeah, it, it could have been horrible. It and could it's have a happy film as well, which it is. You know, for it not to become. Contrite and silly. But yeah, Ewan McGregor is 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 fantastic. Mm-hmm. Plum, Plumber will get the uh, the plaudits, but McGregor's fantastic. Yeah. Um. So where are we now? Number three. Yep. Wow. My number three. Um, oh, is it me? It's me, isn't it? No, oh, it was it you? Yeah, that was oh yeah. Number three for me is the artist. Okay. I've mine got it higher. Shows up higher on mine. What's your number three? My number three is uh, the skin I the skin I live in or the skin in which I live. If you want to be grammatically correct yeah, um, it's, it's not higher up in yours is it I didn't see Skin I Live okay. oh, it's got a cape in it, it? you don't <laughs> <laughs> see a cape but yeah the, so this is uh, this was uh, Pedro Almodovar's latest <laughs> film uh, reunited him with Antonio Banderas for the first time in 21 years I believe since um, Time Me Up Time Me Down really that long yep wow. um, and uh, it was about uh, and Banderas plays a plastic surgeon who ha- is uh, holding a woman in his house for reasons that become apparent as the film progresses we can't really go much yeah, further yeah we than can't that. say very much about the film at can't all, really say can't much about we? it in terms of um can't say much about it in terms of plot but you know i've it, just in about the film in very vague terms i mean i'm a, I'm a huge almodovar fan I, I really love his work and i thought this you know visually he's he's one of the greats currently working i think all of his films are beautiful but this one was especially like lush and but i really liked his he, he kind of his most recent films have been more moderated in some way than his earlier ones because he was quite when he started he was quite trashy and pulpy and then he got more mature which was a you know great he made some great films doing that but it was quite nice seeing him return to some like material that was slightly more lurid in a sense because it's quite a, a it's, it's essentially a horror film in mm-hmm. a lot of ways yeah no it's um, and I think that that is kind of the key to it it's got this genre trapping but it's got his particular 
sort of sense of weirdness to it, you know, mm-hmm. in the characterizations. Um, the character who shows up wearing a cape in it yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. is quite is quite amusing, and you know he, he does have and fucked up like an yeah it is fucked up. fucked up character yeah yeah tiger rapist yeah it's yeah crazy but he, yeah like yeah he's, he's a tiger that rapes Imagine or he rapes tigers he's a raper oh he's, he's <laughs> a raper a, a normal <laughs> raper <laughs> standard raper but um, no I I I loved it I I'm not a fan of Armadillo at all. Um, but this this made me sort of revisit his work, and I spent quite a lot of time over the summer, like intently watching his work, reading about the guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I I am biased because, like I say, I'm not a massive fan of him, but this is my favourite of his films. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was just brilliant. I mean, I think that it's kind of been forgotten now, um, unfortunately. Um, but I I do think that that Banderas was a, a genuine sort of Oscar hopeful for that performance. I yeah, it was that I sort of great. Obviously, we can't really go into it, but he gives kind of almost two different performances mm. over the course of the film because his his role, in a sense, is different in the first half to how it is in the second. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, is it Alina? What's the name of the? the, the I'm woman? not sure. Uh, the, the 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 main woman in it. It's great. Like she's yeah. she's 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 really gives a fantastic performance. That's. Uh, yeah, it's difficult to talk yeah. about it because I you don't, don't want to ruin the twist. I just sort of recall like the final shot, like the final scene. Yeah. Um, I've never... I, I, I had a huge grin on my face and it's just like such a delicious, bloody moment. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely... Yeah, it's just one of those things. But it's, it's, I just thought it was like a really enjoyable, mm. brilliant film. It's the, I think that scene, we can't say what happens in it, but um, yeah. <laughs> it's so difficult. But the, the thing that's great about that scene is that it's kind of a really ridiculous situation when you consider everything that has happened yeah. but it's played with such an emotional honesty yeah, yeah. I mean it is totally like soap opera by way of horror film by way of science fiction by yeah. way of you know all these other sort of traditional Amadava sort of influences yeah, you know, yeah. you've got that soap operaness which is in all of his early work yeah he loves melodrama and then you've got sort of it's almost like Hitchcockian as well in a way and I just I just mm. loved it I just was so blown away by it I even read the book right there you go um, um, so what number is that? That three. was number three. Right, so my number three uh, is uh, Animal Kingdom. Oh, Anyone else got it? Very nearly meant to my list, but didn't. It fell off my list. It was on my shortlist, and I threw it away when I watched it a second time. Um, I would say, uh, just I was I saw it pretty early. On. It was a February release, was it? Yeah, uh, January. February. But it would it already been out in Australia, so I'd already seen it. A friend had sent over a, a DVD of it, but it's um, just so thick and rich with atmosphere. It's been remade, hasn't it? No to the television series. Yeah. Oh right, okay. Um, but American. yet, just um, uh, not. W- it's, it's people say, oh, it's an Australian crime film. There's such a well-worn kind of uh, path, but it just seemed fresh. It seemed thrilling, and uh, I forget the cat's name, but the guy who played the young, the the youngest member is of the family. Daniel, no, it's not Daniel Mendelssohn. Is it? That's the the fucked up uncle. Yeah. Um, but he, that is an astonishing performance from that mm. kid to carry yeah. that film when you don't think he is going to. Yeah, because um, he's so passive yeah, like yeah. as a character. And I really like the kind of the machinations of the plot is that he really tries not to get dragged into that world. Mm-hmm. Like, he really tries to stay out of it. And I like the way that the kind of the film suggests that even just through being in proximity to these characters it's going to catch up to him eventually and yeah, it's yeah. going to corrupt him and I really like that aspect to it 
Yeah. Also, some really shocking deaths in it. Like not absolutely um, not necessarily really violent, but you know, like the characters that die in it die. There's a unex- psycho moment unexpectedly. Yeah, very unexpectedly. Yeah, and I like that. And I felt there's a moment as well with Jackie Weaver's character where <sighs> she becomes like the ultimate sort of monster of 2011. Yeah, she was incredible. But for the second time around, it just didn't work for me. No? I just stopped watching it halfway through and couldn't, couldn't be asked with it. Not enough animals. Yeah. But it's not, it's another film with a lot of like. Um, that sort of unbearable sort of tension throughout, you know, that the rape sequence, not rape sequence, but the the heroin sequence, mm. you know, that's yeah. fucked up stuff. But that's, it, yeah. yeah, that was a really. Also, if in just in terms of um, kind of external things, that film had an amazing trailer. Mm-hmm. That trailer using <laughs> I um, see the trailer. Actually. The trailer for it's great. They use uh, "I'm All Out of Love" oh, from the film, from yeah. which is from the film. But just seeing all of these images from the film, kind of like put together, it just does such a good job of selling the atmosphere of the film mm. in, in, in a short promo without really giving away the plot. Yeah. Just letting you know that something bad is going to happen. And well bad. I thought it was significantly better than Snowtown as well, which I know it's a really crass thing to compare it to, but it's inevitable. Mm. I saw Snowtown last month and I, I wasn't impressed at all. Right. Um, but yeah. Um, number two? Number two, Adam. Um, Hugo. Okay. Nobody well, else got it, Hugo? It's not on my list. No. So you talk um, about why you liked it. Did you see it? I didn't. You didn't. Um, I just, yeah, it was the only real contender for the for, for the, the, the sort of crown, which is my number one spot this year, which my number one has been in place since the beginning of the year, pretty much, since I saw the film June. Um, it's the only film that's come close to touching it. It just had that sort of, um, it really struck a chord with me. I think it was inevitable. It was disappointingly inevitable. I was going to impress, be that impressed by it. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know, I just thought it was... It, it hit all the right notes for me. You know, it's over. Oh, the, 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 the sort of overriding thing is obviously the, the celebration of film, a film which which is, is what it is. Um, it, it, it sort of affected me. I, I, I sort of um, I could relate to it in a really sort of explicit way. And but the the, the sort of uh, the other side of it, I thought it was a really sort of entertaining kids film. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's been a lot of question marks about whether or not it was who it was for. You know, is it for the middle-aged cineasts, cinephiles, or you know, is it is it is it for kids? You know, but ultimately, you know, I don't think that matters to me. A 29-year-old um, person whose job it isn't to sort of find an audience for the film, but as just a regular person, I, I I enjoyed the hell out of it. I thought it was yeah enjoyable, and I thought it was like as logical. My I remember sort of in my review of it on the podcast, the other podcast that I do. I sort of said that it was like the next logical space sort of place for Scorsese to sort of revisit or to visit as an autobiographical project. You know, we had a film like um, Raging Bull, which I think was sort of as autobiographical about Scorsese at that period in his life mm-hmm. um, as this is now. You know, the, the, the aged Scorsese that is now a, an advocate and a ambassador for cinema. Um, but I just thought that it's got my favourite moment in a year, which is the sort of semi-famous apartment scene which has made even the, the heartiest of, of men cry that I know um, I think it's open to debate as to whether or not you know how, how, how strongly it will affect you is how much of an appreciation for, for early cinema you have mm. um, but no I, I just I don't know it just hit all the right notes for me and yeah. it also was bearable in 3D which was uh, a bit of a miracle I mean. bearable in 3D stick it on the poster yep mm. Yeah. For me, the problem with it was I appreciated the film. I liked what it was doing. I mean, I, I have an interest in, in early cinema, and I like the book a great deal, and you know, I love Scorsese. But it just, for me, 
it felt really calculating and the the metaphor that I use and other people have used this as well is um, that it kind of felt to me like the cinematic equivalent of the automaton that's in the centre of the film which is that it gives the impression of life but you can see all the gears working and that was kind of my problem with it I could never get inv invested in the story and I could see what it was trying to do but because there wasn't that sense of investment it didn't move me I mean that apartment scene is good and I did I did you know that was that was the bit that came closest to it and I liked all of the early cinema stuff in it but uh, it's just one of those things you know like what you said earlier about uh, take show it just kind of didn't wasn't the sum of its parts yeah for me. yeah yeah and that was that was kind of my problem I do want to see it again but could be, you know, my main feeling after watching it was I kind of felt bad for not liking it as much yeah. as no, everyone has said that. Actually, mm. they? I think it's just it's just one of those things where all the pieces just kind of didn't mm. fall into place for me. No, I can appreciate that. I can, I, and I like I say, I, I a couple of people have had the, the same complaint. Um, but ultimately, I don't know why. I just, it just, it's just this passion for cinema that I, I think drives it. And mm. I, I, I liked Shutter Island for the same reason. Right. A lot of people hated that. That was my favourite American film of last year. Um, this sort of, just this sort of, as, a, as an anad analogy for cinema and what cinema is, and I think it's kind of like, especially because like the artist is also on this list, Super Eight is also on this list. You know, I think there's a real sort of, it's a real sort of, um, and Margaret as well, which is also a very similar sort of thing about performance and about 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 what film is. I think it's been sort of one of the key sort of uh, things of cinema this year. Mm -hmm. um, but no, no, I, I loved it. And, and it was a real treat to see sort of the arrival and to see safety last. Um, films like that sort of restored on the big screen and in 3D as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying the 3D versions are definitive by any measure of the imagination, but it was a, a, a joy to see them mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah, um, yeah I, just, I just loved it. Ed, number two. My number two is Senna, the uh, documentary about Ayrton Senna. Made, by, my, uh, made my shortlist. By uh, Asif Kapadia, um, you know I have no interest. The, the, the two films that are strangely uh, similar this year that I saw were Moneyball and Senna, in that they were films that I had about subjects I had next to no interest in. More, more so in the case of Moneyball because it's about baseball and maths, which mm. are not really things that I'm that interested in. But you know Senna, you know I didn't know really know who Senna was. I'd not really ever had an interest in in F1, but just the the story and the way it was told only using archive footage with voiceover overlaid was really compelling and it felt like a it felt like a narrative film it had the drive of the narrative film but the emotional heft of documentary mm. and uh, and you know it was it was just one of those things where it just really blew me away I was, I was really really shocked by how much I loved it yeah I was shocked how much I liked it it didn't make my list but it was on my shortlist uh, because I hate F1 with a passion <laughs> and um, having been forced to watch it as a child and having no interest in motor cars or um, the general dicks that like motor cars um, but an astonishing portrait of a fascinating man who had a fascinating life and um, yeah the way it was it was kind of a dizzying montage really of, of, of all that stuff and it, it just drew you in so completely yeah. because there was no artifice to it because it was all it was all you know you, you saw him racing a go-kart as a kid and then you know saw him at the kind of pinnacle of his of his kind of career and there's a bit in it where he says you know his toughest opponent he ever raced against was a kind of bloke he used to drive a, a go-kart against and it's just you know you, what you're not going to get that kind of uh uh access in a kind of straight interview with someone or about with people that knew that person it's he tells his own story through that mm. uh, because, well obviously because he's brown bread 
and and I think um, the the editing of it, the, it it does such a good job of getting across the facets of the man mm. and you know the different ways and really getting across his sense of charisma. But they also kind of key in on some important points in his life. You know his um, his rivalry with um, the other racer, uh, Alan name? Prost. Alan Prost, yeah. Which, um, in my review, I likened it to being like Mozart and Salieri, you know, because it's kind of like the the young guy who's like brimming with talent, and then there's the other guy who knows how to play the game. Exactly. Sort of thing. Yeah. I think that that they they really made that rivalry feel vital and alive, you know, even though it's you know from twenty odd years ago, and it's mm-hmm. in a sport that I have no interest in. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I like the fact that there was a they they really got across the broader context of what he meant to the sport and what he meant to Brazil. I mean, the thing that was really um, heartrending to me in that documentary was um, after spoiler I guess after he dies <laughs> I think he's dead yeah. Yeah. I've not seen it um, <clears throat> after, after didn't you watch it with us no I refuse to I don't watch Guns What Cars oh. okay. <laughs> unless they're Bottom called cars, cars. <laughs> um, when after he dies and there's interviews with people on the streets in Brazil where they're in basically in a like national state of mourning there's mm. one little there's one woman who says you know what Brazil dramatic, isn't it? what Brazil needs wow. is um, uh Education, like food, or and and hope, and Senna was our hope, and it's gone now. And it's, it's just that sense of what he means to a broader world mm-hmm. or, not, or a broader country. It was that, yeah. that it got that sense across really well, and I was found that really affecting. Yeah. Well, I do certainly need to see it, and it's probably something I'll watch over Christmas. Um, but I, yeah, I missed it at the cinema. I just had no time for it. Yeah. Not literally. No time for literally. It. Oh, okay, literally. No watch time. your number two. My number two is Drive. Drive. So. You mentioned it first, Adam. Let's have it. I'll let you talk about it because I've got to talk about my number one in a minute, which is which you're going to wank off quite a lot, I don't know. <laughs> Probably um, not because we've been talking for two and a half <laughs> hours. Um, yeah, yeah, Drive uh, again. Big fan of Walter Hill. It's exactly the same film as Driver, um, or as the Driver. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, so nice to see a film paced like a '70s film. Sounds like an '80s film, but feels very ni- '90s, and it's kind of like kind of explosive elements, I guess. Um, Ryan Gosling has got to probably be one of probably man of the year I reckon up there I would have said I said Fassbender right I think Fassbender had four but it's Gosling is you know he's He's great great in that he doesn't really he's good in everything he's good in Young Hercules Um, but um, do you not think he was better in Blue Valentine this year not really I think Blue Valentine felt like a it felt could have done with some judicious editing mm. I feel and I think that it felt a little bit too uh, indulgent in places mm. in terms of the scenes I think that there are there are moments in Blue Valentine where um, it feels like an improv exercise gone a bit too far gone on to a bit too long um, I think he's overshadowed by Michelle Williams in that yeah, film yeah no I see that yeah. Um, but yeah Drive um, it, it was just kind of it could have been a disaster that mm. film it could have been Someone try. I can't remember who was attached to direct that before. Well, um, it was a Hugh Jackman vehicle, 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 vehicle yeah. And it, it would have just they would have tried to do a kind of really stylish kind of Grand Theft Auto shit thing. Fast with and the it. Furious, wasn't it? That was yeah. the bench. Well, so didn't someone sue? Tried to sue yeah, the maker. She's trying to sue at the moment Bloody because idiot. she's a massive bell end. Because <laughs> she thought that it, it looked like it should be a, a like too fast, too furious. Not enough driving. Not Seriously, enough driving. you can't make that crap up. I'd like to see. 
that lawsuit win purely so that all trailers from now on are just a description of what the film <laughs> is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I loved it. I, I like you say. I thought it was great. I thought you know Gosling was on form. Um, Albert Brooks was brilliant. Oh, Albert Brooks, um, one of the finest support. I think he's Christopher Plummer's competition for you, you know the best sport actor of the year. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was really, it was really something. Um, yeah, yeah I, I loved it. And yeah, the, the, the the explosions of violence were so because sh- just because the pace is so yeah. sedate almost. And it, yeah, I mean, I saw that the same sort of week I saw Warrior, and my biggest complaint with Warrior was that the film was about. Um, it, was, it had a violent. It was it was a vi- film about fighting. Yeah, it didn't feel violent, and mm-hmm. it didn't. As a result, I thought that was quite irresponsible. It didn't feel like there was any consequence to what was happening. And yeah, I saw Drive a few days later, and Drive did exactly what I complained about Warrior not doing mm-hmm. perfectly. You know, it had that whole consequence and that whole yeah, just the, the it just nailed that aspect. It nailed violence well. You know, and a film that nails violence well is you know is 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 a hard film to come by. Yeah. You know, and um, it, yeah, it worked in the sort of same way that a Scorsese film works. You know, you feel the violence, and mm-hmm. you, you respect the violence, and you don't. It's not glorifying. It's no. not. It's kind sexy, of repellent. In yeah, in um, many aspects too. And shocking. Yeah, like genuinely. Yeah, yeah, genuinely. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's yeah. only made recently made a comeback into my top ten actually, because I think it fell out for a while. But I've I've got a real hankering. To, to rewatch it. Yeah. yeah, I think I'll need to reconsider it because uh, <coughs> it was on my long list and just got lost in the shuffle. Mm. But I think I need to reconsider it because yeah, it was great. Yeah. So, so we're down one. to number ones. Number one. My number one's really obvious. Um, it's it's Tree of Life. Oh, I thought it's Sucker Punch. Which uh, was my number four. The Tree of Life, not yeah. Sucker Punch. All no, right. Where is it on your list? Uh, it didn't feature on my list. I recall you tweeting about it. I watched it, um, and it's been noted by. Uh, kind of people who liked it that if you approach it with any degree of cynicism um, <laughs> you are going to kind of find some of the elements of that film quite laughable I don't know I think we all I saw it with Ed and I saw it with a couple of other guys and I think we all went in there yeah, I'm a cynic I'm a mm. cynical guy I mean, yeah I, I mean I, 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 I don't do think like Malik is infallible no I do like Terence Malick's films but um, the ones I've seen I've not seen them all certainly there's too many uh, for me (laughs) to watch but um, (laughs) there was three moments in that film where there was a scene that happened and I you can uh, I've seen all of those moments in a bank advert Mm. a person swimming out of an underwater house a boy swimming out of an underwater house people meeting on a beach heaven beach and uh, the uh, walking through a doorway in a desert which it felt a little (laughs) bit like uh, a kind of I'm you've ruined it for me now. <laughs> but it did have dinosaurs in it, and I'm a big fan of dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And that was where Tyrannosaur fell down for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's your biggest criticism. But no, I mean, uh, Tree of Life is something that uh, I watched, and I, <coughs> it, uh, it, I admired it, and but it, it just didn't engage me in mm-hmm. the way that I think that it does someone who's kind of more into it. I don't think it was for me. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I don't think a film's been more divisive this year. Um, I wouldn't have been booing at Cannes. I would have yeah. been eating a sausage roll, <laughs> just just gazing off that into that the distance, thinking about <laughs> pigeons. Sums up your relationship with the film. Yeah. No, I can I can I can appreciate it. You know, I don't know why I'm being so reasonable. Me neither. Yeah, I just think as like a, as a cinematic experience, it was like genuinely unique. You know, I don't think any film that any of us have mentioned today have been has have been quite like that. And I, I think that that is something that you know, especially as somebody I, I am quite weary weary 
I'm quite wary of of, 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 of cinema now, and I, it takes a lot to Im really impress me, um, and to surprise me. And this did, you know, it's the first film since I I I reckon since there will be blood that has genuinely sort of engaged me is probably the, the right word mm -hmm. um, in that way. I think it's sort of thrown a, something a bit different at me. Um, I saw a lot of it in Margaret actually as well. Um, funnily enough. Um, and I, I guess on the list, I guess you know, I'm just looking back at my own list. Um, yeah, I, I think it is fairly unique in in in, in how it does what it does. Um, and I've not read a yeah, I I don't know. I, I just thought it was genuinely something quite special. Yeah, I mean, the only reason it's not um, higher on my list is that you know I I just enjoyed other films more. Mm. But I think as as an achievement and as a work of cinema, I think it's kind of stands alone as mm. all the stuff that was released year. I mean it's just so audacious and ambitious to try and essentially take a very personal story and I do think it's quite personal to Temer's Malik yeah, yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. him I mean, the, be the best interpretation I've read about it is that it's about him in a sense reaching about his artistic development like the scene at the end isn't literally about his death or about the death of the universe it's kind of about him letting go of his past and, and moving on as an artist yeah, that was yeah. the an interpretation I read of it, which I thought really kind of worked, you know, in terms of the idea of the film being about memory and and the past and kind of the hold it has over us, and um, but just like the idea of taking that and then a, a small story and then juxtaposing it against the birth and death of the universe, the biggest story ever. Yeah, yeah. the biggest story ever. I just thought that was that was really stunning, and you know, that, like the I did I did love that stuff. Is it uh, Douglas Trumbull? Trumbull? Oh, the, the really guy, yeah, yeah. the abstract he cosmic prayer stuff. Yeah, he came out of um, came out of retirement since I, I don't know what his last film would have been. Would it have been? Um, he's done some stuff quite recently. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it was his first film for twenty one years. Was it? Yeah, yeah. All oh, right, and I didn't it, know was that. The, it was the um, yeah. I thought I he'd done something stuff. quite embarrassing. Check. How did that? Who was Pluto Nash? Was he on Pluto? Do the effects work? But no, I, 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 yeah, I kind of, I don't think that it lost me the moment it starts with a quote about Job, and then the main character is called is it Jack or John? Yeah, but I thought that was quite a, a nice, it's quite a clever, swift. That's not clever. I do. I, I, I don't think it was about Job. You know, that's no. what my, 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 my ultimate sort of interpretation was that it was about a man it was about putting you in a position where you had to self say you had to you had to decline religion and you had to decline faith or blind faith and focus upon love which is not love is not god and i think that you know that's quite a a bold thing for an american film to say mm -hmm. an american film funded by an american studio especially because a lot of people seem to think that it was a very christian film exactly yeah, exactly of it and i thought that that was mm. i didn't think it was religious no, I, I think it's about it's about spirituality and it's about believing in something. But I don't but think not it's about God. Yeah, not about God. Yeah, exactly. Not about and I think that's why I relate to it so well because yeah. I, I've often been very jealous of people who have faith, yeah. and I've often had um, battles with myself over what faith is, um, as do a lot of people. I think, um, even if they don't know they're doing it, and I, I, I genuinely think that's why it struck, struck a chord in me. I remember like I, I have an unusual amount of Christian friends, somebody who's not a Christian, and every single one of them hated it, you know, mm. except for one. And then he disliked it later on. Before mm. he liked it, he didn't like it. 
but no i think it i think it's a, the, the the best my my reading of the film is that it's about you know a guy who cannot be up, he cannot be fucked about by some fictional character mm-hmm. that he's deemed his his creator you know, it's about saying goodbye to that and saying you know and focusing on the family and mm-hmm. that's when you will find peace that's the thing about it that's also great is it is a film that is open to those sort of and yeah, levels and of interpretation it doesn't completely yeah. say exactly what it's about you can mm-hmm. go into it and you can read what you want into it same with there will be blood in a way like that's yeah, a film exactly, that's yeah. open you it's about what you want it to be about yeah, really yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I think that there are these monumental films that come along every couple of years and do that to I'll me. I'd be interested to see what the uh, consensus is on Tree of Life in 10, 15 years' time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be remembered better than it's been sort of considered now. now I, right, think, okay. I think it's a bit mixed now. I it's interesting. I think the, the thing is about, about Malik is, and I, I was really getting into film in about 1998 when... Um, when the Thin Red Line came out, mm. yeah, that was when I was sort of 15 years old, and you know, it was one of the first proper films I saw in the cinema. And I remember the reaction to that at the time. You know, it was weighed heavily in the favour of Saving Private Ryan. Mm. You know, the New World was considered just Pocahontas. You know, it was mm. considered, and and those films have grown in stature. I mean, the New World. I've never seen a film turn around in in, in critical consensus so quickly. Because so yeah. that is now regarded as his sort of by by many as his masterpiece, and mm. I think it's one of the great film, great American films. You know, and I, 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 that was derided at the time. You know, mm-hmm. that was just laughed at. And then, you know, we've got. Um, I'm not sure about the, the contemporary opinion on on the earlier films. And the Badlands was received all right. Mm-hmm. Days of Heaven was a, a disaster. You know, I don't know how it was received by the critics. Um, speaking of kind of uh, U-turns, uh, Tree of Life and Sean Penn, he didn't like it, did he? Well, that's well, not surprising. Some, some. But I mean, for he didn't say that he disliked it. Because I've had this question. I've had this debate with somebody else. Was he just not what he? He, he said it. He said it read differently on the page. Right. You know, and I think that that's been taken out of context anyway, because mm-hmm. I don't think that Sean Penn is naive enough to read in Malick's script and think that's what the film's going to be like. Yeah. Because he worked on the Thin Red Line. And Hulk Hogan know. was in that and got cut out. Exactly. You know. Everyone was. Hmm? Uh, well, <laughs> there's never been a film. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was Marky Smith. <laughs> but there's never been a film like that where where you have George Clooney come in at the end and not speak. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. that's that's that. And for, for for him to think any differently, yeah, yeah. is I think naive. And I do. I think that's just gossip mongers trying to sort of sh- like shake shit up. I mean, wasn't he in charge of? Was he in the, the jury of Cannes this year? Yeah, yeah. And he gave it. Yeah pound off so how disappointed could he have been with it mm. I mean I think that's just like people love gossip and you can't get gossip with a Malik film so you know they'd make that shit up Malik's not going to come around and say actually that's not what happened is it you know so it doesn't mean it didn't happen although we are in a precarious position now where there is a very likely opportunity that next year we'll see both a Paul Thomas Anderson film in the shape of the master and another Terence Malick film Holy within the space shit. of 12 months. That 42 wanks in a night record's going to go when Adam <laughs> sees those two. But I mean, can you imagine the existential crisis that will happen? I mean, it was bad enough with Scorsese and Malick, you know. So uh, I, I, I'm loving the idea of that, but I'm dreading it at the same time. I like the fact that Malick seems to have just kind of gone. Yeah, I decided to spend like 40 years making these four films, now I'm going to make a film a year. Yeah, so yeah, he's kind of he's the new Takeshi Miike. Yeah, yeah, he really needs yeah. To, feels he needs to pick up the pace. Uh, my favourite photograph of 2011 is, um, is, is of when Tree of Life played Khan. Um, obviously, it was like, where is Malik was like a big theme, and he, he wasn't there for all intents and purposes. But then there's a photograph emerged, which was they, they kicked out all of the press and all of the TV crews. And Malik came in to sort of receive his applause wow. at the end of the film, and it's, there's an amazing photograph of him walking down the line of the actors um, sat in their seats and just coming and sitting down next to Brad Pitt at the end. 
and it's just a, such a great photograph and um yeah i just think it's such a monumental film it just feels it feels important and mm. you know that's that that usually a film oh, i'm very cynical about a film like that so yeah, yeah. anyway number ones on. okay i, I think, think you and i have got the same one i think we have it it's the artist it is yeah i mean we all saw this at the leeds <coughs> film festival um the other month didn't we, we did. on my birthday on your birthday yeah, yeah. Um, although not for your birthday yes. <laughs> no. I, listen to us. Yeah. I did not celebrate your birthday <laughs> don't uh, recognise your birthday <laughs> I yeah, yeah I, I just love it I just completely fell in love with the story I mean like for me I don't want to I think it might have been better with sound hmm? no it was that was an <laughs> oh, intro right, yeah, yeah. that was meta um, yeah. I think the uh, the thing you know it, I don't want to kind of harp on about you know the connection between it and Hugo, although obviously them both being released around about the same time doesn't help with I comparison. Think we should celebrate that. Oh yeah, I know, yeah, but it's for me that the thing that it had, which why I like, I really reacted to the artist and, and and I didn't react as much to Hugo, is that I just think the emotional core of it. I mean, they're both celebrations of film, but for me that the emotional core of the artist was so strong, and it's just such a joyous film. Mm -hmm. And it, I was just so swept away in the story that I kind of. You know, the, the best thing about it is you don't notice that it's silent after a while. You're just completely drawn into the story. Absolutely. Well, it's never silent, though, is it? That's a common well, misconception yeah. of silent film, is that it's silent, it's not silent. You don't oh, yeah. notice that there's no dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what got me was there was, at some point during that film, I was expecting to think, this is a gimmick. Mm. But it never felt that it's way. Felt, that was my ultimate praise. It, it felt, never felt it that way. It felt so organic mm. to the story. I mean, obviously, it's a completely inorganic idea because no one would make no one in the 1930s would make a silent film about the birth of sound because yeah. it would be so crazy but you know it just it Although just feels yeah modern times kind of is that yeah, yeah. but it's so to be fair. but look, that's more metaphorical than yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not specifically about you know a, a behind the scenes kind of thing but it's such a lovely celebration of that area that it only feels natural that yeah, there's no yeah. sound there's no, mm. there's no dialogue um, but it also has I think possibly my favourite single moment of any film this year which is the moment when um female character Peppy Miller yeah Peppy Miller she uh, I won't go into the details because it will ruin she is smoking well. hot um, and uh, the thing that there's a, there's a scene in it where she looks through a reel of film and I think if we revealed why she's looking through the film it would ruin aspects of the story mm -hmm. but you know she looks through it and the images on it are, I just found it really heartbreaking you know mm. it was just such a, a wonderful little moment that has such a great emotional power because of how invested you are in those characters. I felt a similar point a similar sort of twinge when she's watching the film that he's yeah, yeah. yeah. as well um, and there's sinking. Yeah, uh, yeah. And when, he, when he's watching her films yeah. And, you yeah. 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 and you see how much they, in, in all of those scenes you just see how much they care for each mm. other even though the story of the film is these well, two people going off in different um, yeah. directions and I was going to say that there's like well, one thing that really impressed me was and I mean I, I'm a big fan of silent film I appreciate how sort of complex silent film is, or early cinema is. Um, but I was still impressed that they did manage to pull off that love story because mm. that love story is very complicated. You know, it's not just a man loves a woman. You know, there's more going on there. Yeah. Than that. You know, there's several parties involved. So, yeah, so man, and that man loves a woman, but he's married. He's, he's the married. man's got a dog. Man's got a dog. And the manner in which it, it worked. Well, she starts becoming more successful than him, mm. and it, you could easily see that story. Easy it's complicated. He becomes really. Yeah really bitter from it and everything mm. but you know but but I, yeah I mean it's just so pure it's yeah. pure and it did have one of my favourite scenes of the year which was the the vertigo scene we'll refer to it as the vertigo scene the scene where the love theme from vertigo is used to soundtrack it which bit is that? that where he discovers 
Oh, the oh. the dream. Yeah. No, 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 no. Much later on. I don't really when want to ruin it. it when he discovers He's staying at somebody's room. house and he yeah. discovers something. Oh, in the yeah. Room. Right, yeah, yeah of I course. Of course it is. But, uh, yeah, my, mine, I think that's probably the best moment. It's this kind of sequence of the year, really, for me, when um, when they first work on that film together and there's all the retakes. Yeah. And mm. um, yeah, that, yeah. that sequence is just beautiful and brilliant. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's just it's just a film that uh, I expected not to have the impact that it did. Well, and every yeah. time I think about it, I've just got a big smile on my yeah, face. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, my worry was, and I, I remember quite a few sort of people that I talk about silent film with um, being quite relieved to hear that I I, I, I was worried it was going to be a pastiche. Yeah, I, I was worried there was going to be scratches on the lens and all that yeah. shit, but it wasn't. It was it was a thoroughly modern yeah. silent film. I remember sort of the, the shared joy when I told my peers that I thought it was a, a great homage you know and they were so relieved to hear that I thought I considered it homage and not, not pastiche and I, I think there's a, such a, an important line there mm. and, but I don't think it was as sincere or as great a, a tribute as Hugo for me that was my one sort of because I, I think they were never, you know, inevitably comparing the two mm. you know for me Hugo really did sort of hit those marks a little bit more sincerely and emotionally I was a lot more invested in Hugo I mean I, I wept during Hugo you know and that's but whereas the artist never tipped me over that edge, but I did, I did love the artist. I mean, it's my number three for God's sake. Yeah. I did truly love it, um, and yeah, I think it was just, yeah, just something else. And I'd love, I'd love. I normally hate this, the sort of, the the, the, the forebearer to sort of do well. You know, I, I, I like the idea of of of, uh, of a smaller film sort of um, leading the charge when it comes to sort of the end of year polls and stuff. Um, you know, I, I sort of balked at the idea of a film like Slumdog Millionaire or King's Speech doing well. Mm. Um, whereas with this, I'm all for it. You know, I'm yeah. like, fuck it, give it everything. You know, this this is such a great film. And it won't get everything. It will. I think I'd, it will. I'd like to see the actors be rewarded because I think I think it's going to take everything. Yeah. I think that uh, but no, in Oscars it won't. I think yeah. it will. I think honestly, it? I'm willing to stick my hat on it. I think it'll take best picture, best actor. Um, I don't think it'll. Pay, I think Mal- Malik is in with a chance for best director. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends how they play it. One of those cynical Scorsese mm. ones. Mm. I mean, I think yeah, I think it's either I think it's a toss up between this and Shame. I think if Shame can break the um, NC17 barrier, then mm. I think Michael Fassbender might be in with a chance of best actor. But if not, I think Jean de Jardin is is is, is the, mean, the the, the choice of actors in the film are great. They're all they've all got such great expressive faces, you know. Mm. And, and they can just is so talented, like, yeah. yeah. And, it, and then people like you know James Cromwell who can do a lot with just a <laughs> little I've look. not seen in ages. James yeah. Cromwell was a fixture during the nineties, but has has been kind of absent from yeah. the screens yeah. for too long. Or John uh, Goodman, John Goodman well. yeah, yeah. just like he's got such like a mass, massive, broad face. He can mm. just do those big mm. emotions so well. Cool. All right, I nice think we're one. there, aren't we? So that was two thousand and eleven. Yeah. Um, our kind of first proper podcast. If it's recorded this uh, time. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> sum up 2011 in uh, one word, Adam. Um, That's Renaissance. <laughs> Renaissance. Ed. Uh, terrific. I'll go with tight. Actually, I want to change it to oh, track. I want to change it to transplendent. Transplendent. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that was 2011, um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be back in the new year with a properly recorded podcast. All right, goodbye. 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 I'm not a man, 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 I'